on. As you guys are seated, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're moving right along in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew uh, 6, uh, verse 12. But if you guys will pray this, the Lord's Prayer with me, and then we'll kind of dive into a, a section of it. So please pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want to remind us this morning, and every morning actually, that we ever meet together, that, that this is important work that we get to be about, this work of prayer, this work of prayer for ourselves, for our provision, for our forgiveness, for our direction and deliverance, and also prayers that go out for others for these same exact things. It's a, it's a prayer who is directed to our Heavenly Father, who is holy and good, who wants good things for His children, and whom uh, uh, we get to be a part of those things that He has for us. And I love, as we've kind of broken this down, I can hear like different voices that have come in over time and just kind of like, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is His name, Thy kingdom come. And as we hear these different aspects, we get to we get to see it is God who is enthroned in heaven and cares about all that he's created. And we get to pray to the one who at the end of the day will have their will, will have their way. We've seen the end of the book. We see what it looks like and, and God wins and it's a beautiful thing. And uh, the one whom also we get to be reminded is our king and we get to be a part of his kingdom and we get to lay down the things at the throne of God as Jesus has taught us to pray. And as we learn to pray, we get to remember this is how Jesus taught us. This simple prayer is so simple that we say it every week, but it's also so expansive. And I love one of the things when we were in the Psalms for a billion years, it was Jesus who prayed the Psalms. And you could actually tether just about every Psalm back to this prayer here in one way or another. But it was Jesus who took time away and set aside time for prayer in and throughout his life. It wasn't just when Jesus came on the scene and the Holy Spirit descended on him and that it's like, okay, now I need to be about prayer. No, he was this way when, from the time that he was young. The only picture that we see, he wanted to be in his father's house, right? To why? To talk about his father, to talk to his father, to be in the presence of God in all that time. Jesus, who prayed, he prayed in public and in private. Jesus, not, uh, who is not only our Savior, but he's also, his life is an example for us of what we get to be like. And I love the fact that Jesus was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. He was being taught the rich nature of prayer, and, by one, and we are being taught the rich nature of prayer by one who has experienced it. Okay, so how many of us have had this where... Um, so I've read a number of books with the one who wrote the book, like especially nonfiction, who started out um, going, this is why I need to write this thing is because like, let's take being busy, for example. Uh, it would be like a book written by a workaholic. 
And they're just like, who never takes vacations, never takes days off, like even has email open at the kids' soccer games or whatever, right? And they will explain how and why they believe this work of rest is a beautiful thing. And they're working it out in the only way they know how to through work. And so they write, uh, they write this book um, and you're just like, buddy, I don't know if you've ever rested. Like you're still, even as you writing this book, you're taking it. I've read so many books on rest that they're like, I am so busy that I need to write a book on rest. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, like the last book on rest, I actually read the introduction. I was like, oh, this is really good. But then it said, I'm too busy to write a book on rest and you're probably too busy to read it. And I was sitting on a dock fishing at the time and I'm like, no, I'm not too busy. Like I'm good. And I shut the book and I just spent time in prayer because it was like, look, you don't, you've never lived this out. You've never actually done the thing. And I mean, some of the, some of the things that they say are are helpful and discerning. Some people are humble admitting like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to work it out here. But then there's others who are kind of more uh, preachy with it. They're just like, this is what you need to do. And it's like, you can tell they've never actually done. They have no clue what rest is and they're trying to teach you about rest, right? And so Jesus is not like this. Praise be to God, right? He knows prayer. And so when he teaches us to pray, it's an important part of his life. And so as we learn, we are learning from somebody who gets it. We're not learning from somebody who's like, oh yeah, well, you can tell during this prayer, Jesus really didn't know how to pray. Jesus is a man who suffered seasons of difficult prayer. He suffered seasons of difficult prayer as well as he's he's seen prayers answered. He's uh, somebody who knows the difficulty of hope in the midst of prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's difficulties. And somebody who uh, was... Uh, had needs met in the presence of prayer as well. And I love that Jesus knows the mighty and powerful words that are being prayed here. And he taught us to pray them. I, for one, would rather learn this from Jesus than someone who spent a lifetime, um, uh, from someone who spent a lifetime communicating with this Father who art in heaven, right? Like, that's the one I want to learn from. And so his experience makes him a good teacher. And so we come to him humbly knowing that we can trust what is being taught here. It's not flippant. Prayer is the work that even if we don't know how to read, like read scripture or study scripture, you know what we can do? We can be about prayer. We can be about that work. We can pray. We can even be uh, like I was thinking about Helen Keller. Like if she knew scripture, she could pray. Couldn't speak, right? Couldn't write. She could be a woman of prayer. And I don't know if she was, but it's just, it's one of those things where it's good to pray out loud. But however, in the secret place of our hearts, we are all offering prayers at different times and in different ways. Utterances of our soul that sometimes are too deep for words. How many of us have ever prayed like this? Jesus, right? Am I the only one? Like, it's, it's one of those things where we don't know even what to pray, but we can, that's a prayer. And it's one of these that it's like, Lord, please, like, it could be, let your will be done, Right? I don't know how else to pray for this. Or it could be, give us this day our daily bread. Or it could be, forgive me and help me forgive this other person, right? The utterances of our souls that sometimes are too deep for words, Jesus knows what they look like, and he's giving words to these here. And prayer is something that we can, we, uh, we get to learn over our lifetime. We can start when we're young, right? So we can start at whatever age, and we continue until we see Jesus face to face. Amen. So we get to continue to do this. And in our lifetime, 
we will see prayers answered. Big and powerful and crazy prayers, but also seemingly small and insignificant prayers answered as well. I loved the prayer of my grandma growing up. She always prayed for a parking spot real close, right? But not a handicap one, but a prayer. And she would drive around for three hours until God answered her prayers. She was very patient in that, but she always got it. She always got what she prayed for. And she would always be like, praise God. And it's like, Grandma, like I'm 15 now. We started when I was 12, but it was kind of just one of those things. But we will see some prayers go unanswered that we know are within God's will. That we believe like wholeheartedly and we endure and hope. And we just keep on praying them, keep on praying them, keep on praying them. And then we, uh, and, and we will have hope that even if we spend our whole life praying, even after we go God will do this thing that we're asking for. And then some prayers that we are thankful that went unanswered. Amen. Who can attest to this? Like I think about uh, prayers that we can't believe. Like as we look back, it's like, oh my gosh, I prayed for what? Like, I, no, God, I'm thank you that that girl did break up with me or whatever it may be for you. I don't know what it is, but for me, I'm just like, but I was like begging you to like heal that relationship. And I'm so grateful you didn't answer that prayer. And so sometimes we can't believe what we prayed for. And at times, unanswered prayers will cause praise in the end, right? But it's important that we become people of prayer. Because prayer is a great gift that we get to learn. And I'll say this about prayer, because somebody said something to me this week, and they're like, oh, prayer works. So I just need to keep praying. And then they start listing some of the things that they pray for. And I'm like, I, I, I told him, I'm like, prayer isn't magic. Like, prayer isn't magic. It's not like, well, I, in Jesus' name, okay, Lord, let's let it happen. I've prayed in faith that you can do this thing. It's not, it, it's not magic. It isn't as if we pray hard enough or long enough or use the correct words. Like, it's some sort of incantation that if we just get it right, God will do this. There is a good posture to prayer. There is a right heart. But even the Psalms teach us that as we pray, even when our posture doesn't seem correct and our hearts are a little out of whack, we still get to cry out. And God understands that we are frail and that we are dust and that to dust we shall return. And yet he still asks us to cry out. And so I 100% believe that prayer is one of the most important works as Christians that we can be about. We want the actions of God in and through this life. Amen? Like, uh, I, I don't, um, I, I always think about it this way, because so many people will come up to me, they, they hear I'm a pastor, and they'll ask me for prayer. But you don't have to be a, a pastor to pray this, right? You don't have to be even somebody who's recognized as a prayer warrior. You can just be a person of prayer. You can work this out, and it's not easy work, but it is work that recognizes that God is the most active agent in the universe and in our lives and in the life of others. And prayer is a way of acknowledging that and coming to terms with our Father who art in heaven. So now we get to this verse. And now forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'm using that today rather than uh, the ESV just because that's the one that we pray every week. And I forget where I pulled that from, but it's been there for nine nine years. I think it's the... um, uh, new revised standard version. I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'm not sure what it is, but we pray the words trespass every week. Now, so how many of you guys in your day to day actually used the word trespass this week other than in this prayer? Anybody? 
Like how many of us, if, if someone hurts me and I wanted to ask what they did, I wouldn't say, excuse me, why did you trespass against me? I just not that old English. I guess I'm not that, uh, I'm not that. And so other translations for this word might be more helpful for us. And the same word in Greek is used throughout different translations for debt. So, right, in the ESV, it's debt. Actually, most of them, it is debt. But uh, so debt or sin or even wrong that is done. And so when we think about trespass, all these words are used trying to get a point across that we do have a deficit, not only with God, but with other people as well. We have debts in our lives. And there needs to be this idea of like somehow the debt needs to come right. You know, and so a debt is not a positive in our account. It's not plus anything. It's negative, right? It is something that is to be paid and it's owed an amount. If you've ever been cheated, hurt, or robbed, and you feel as though you are owed something that is taken from you, don't you feel good when that debt is paid to you? Whether something was stolen from you or somebody said something harsh to you and they offered you an apology and the apology was, um, or, or the, the replaced thing that was taken, but, uh, or even this, I think that, that this is the best way is somebody who apologizes and then they don't do it again, right? Like that's the best, like a life lived in repentance from the thing that was taken from you, something that, um, takes us or others into the negative. Jesus gives us a whole bunch of examples of someone who is in debt. You can read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a whole bunch. And he's teaching us about forgiveness the entire time, what it looks like to forgive. Forgiveness is a good way to teach about grace and what it looks like. Because uh, most of the time, this is the way I think about it. So um, please forgive me if you don't agree, that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I think that most of the time we want karma. We want karma. It's actually the American way. You get what you deserve. That's karma, right? You pay back what you did. So if you get good, you get good things. If you do bad, you do bad things. And it's like, um, and so it's this idea of karma that creeps into our thoughts and our judgments and the way that we act. And honestly, it makes more sense to our minds uh, than grace does because grace is undeserved. It's unmerited favor from God. We want to get what we've earned, right? Like, so for example, well, if God answers a prayer, is it because you prayed long enough? Is it because you prayed with faith? Is it, or is it just because of his grace? Like we have to ask ourselves these questions. How many of us have said something? Well, that person got what they deserved. Anybody? That's not, yeah, I have for sure. That's not grace, right? Or how many people on the opposite, you know, you really deserve that. Oh, that is so wonderful. By the way, that's not grace either. Like it might, like you don't deserve it. It's just a gift. Grace is a a beautiful gift and forgiveness is God's grace to us. And if we live into the love that Jesus has given us, then the light of Christ is shown in the dark recesses of our heart, right? And it's light seen and we can stand there the scriptures say naked and unashamed and then jesus declares over us that even though he sees all our flaws all our weaknesses he says you're forgiven it's unbelievable 
every single one. All the things that we try and hide and um, every debt that we have, every trespass that we have, Jesus declares it forgiven. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, but yet at the same time, we're not, we haven't seen Jesus face to face. So not in everybody's eyes, because you can stand before Jesus forgiven and it's beautiful. But when you go before others, they're like, yeah, we know, we know who you are or whatever it may be. Right. And I love uh, that, that song that says Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within. I don't love that line, except for the fact that, yeah, sometimes we even do this to ourselves, right? Like I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about something this week and I was talking to a friend and they, they said, you deserve this. And I, there's somebody that I've been a friend with a long time. I said, so you think, and I started listing some of the things I've done wrong. And they're like, and you said, you think I deserve this? He goes, well, maybe not. I said, that's why I believe in grace and not karma, man. Cause I, I, I don't know why God would love to bestow his love on me. He, but he, Satan wants to remind us of these things, to tell us of the guilt within, to destroy us and make us feel unworthy of God's love. But it's Jesus who sees us. He sees the wrongs that we've done, the, all our thoughts and our deeds and our actions, all the things that we've done, all the things that we've not done. And you know what he says? You're forgiven. He says, I will take your uncleanness and I will give you clean and, uh, your uh, cleanliness that I have earned for you. But back to debt. Forgive us our debt. Forgive as we what? Forgive our debtors. So we are asking for forgiveness. We are being forgiven from sin. And the forgiveness uh, then flows to those who have sinned against us. Right? We experience forgiveness. And then we, we also forgive others. We know that it is both and. That we receive it and we give it away. We know that we need to be forgiven and in this, it's a posture of humility. I'm not perfect. It's not just this one time that I needed to be forgiven when I was eight and I gave my life to Jesus. It's all throughout our lives. This posture of humility is one of our need for forgiveness. It's not just one time, but it's oftentimes over and over and over and over. Need for the same thing. If there is a debt that needs to pay, we are asking and praying that that debt gets covered with what? God's forgiveness for us. Jesus' blood for us with grace. And not only for us, but for others as well. This is the will of God to forgive our debt. That's why Jesus came for us. In his, uh, in his book, the book of forgiveness, Bishop Desmond Tutu, who is in South Africa, lays out a fourfold path to forgiveness. And um, regardless of how you feel about Bishop Desmond Tutu, he has something to teach us because this is a man who's lived through much forgiveness. He's seen and helped a country heal. It's not whole fully all the time, but he's helped it walk towards forgiveness. And I would completely recommend his book, uh, this the book of uh, forgiving. And over the years since I've read it and reread it, I find the principles that he lays out found in scripture and I found it helpful for practical life as well. So let me explain practical life as well. Um, uh, a number of years ago, we walked with a lot of women who were coming out of slavery. And so I was in a Bible study one, one time, and we were talking about forgiveness, and they said, so can I forgive and not go back to my enslaver? Yes, absolutely, please do. Please don't go back. Please do forgive in your heart. But they're like, well, 
if I told the person that I for, was, uh, forgave them, wouldn't that mean going back? And it's like, not always. And so I find that helpful for Desmond Tutu and helpful in practical life. So here's the path that he lays out. Number one, it's telling the story. Number two, naming the hurt or naming the debt, right? As we would say it here. And then number three, uh, granting forgiveness. I would add also receiving forgiveness because we, we need to do that. And then four would be renewing or releasing the relationship. So telling the story, why I believe this is, is biblical is because before God and before others, humility is being honest. I'm not perfect. I'm not, I don't have all my stuff together. So when the story of told, it's not just from my point of view as if I'm defending myself. It's bigger than that. Because sometimes, even when you are sharing your point of view, you're not able to see all the calamity that's happening behind you. And we're not always uh, good people all the time. Sometimes we hurt people's feelings on purpose. Sometimes we don't mean to right? Like it's unintentional, or maybe it's even worse than hurting some of these feelings in this life. And so being honest and telling the, the story, and I like to think of the whole story, not just the good parts, but being honest with mistakes that we make is telling a big part of this story. And, and compared to Jesus' life, if we really just like, I'm not a big fan of comparison, but if we compare ourselves to Jesus, who's perfect and whole and holy, ours does look broken and incomplete, doesn't it? It looks imperfect. And then in that, in humility, we can say, yeah, I've sinned. I need forgiveness. And so we can tell this story without shame and without judgment. Then naming the hurt. We can even say this, naming the sin, admitting that we have sinned, but being willing to address the damage that it's done as well. So oftentimes we are so blind to the effects of our sins as we deal with it before God and before others. As we do, we become more Christ-like. I think an apology is far better than somebody pretending that they never make any mistakes. Just knowing that we're broken, but we have to admit it and we have to name it. It's not like, uh, how many of us have ever gotten an apology? Yeah, I did some things wrong. And then it, does it make a difference? It's like, okay, yeah, you did something. Well, can you, can you list any of those? Can you say specifically how you hurt me? Or is it just, well, none of us are perfect. No, but as they go through and say, you know what? This is how I hurt you. I said this. I thought this in my heart. And they go through. And because we all have sin, we're not perfect until we see Jesus face to face. Now God sees us as perfect through the blood of Christ, right? Amen. And that is true. And others that we live with don't see us through the eyes of God. <laughs> they know all the flaws that we have, even if God declares us clean. And I've had more than one person, when confronted by some of their sin or debt that was owed to someone else, they refuse to see it. They just say, well, God made me perfect, so I don't believe that you did this. This is not how forgiveness works. Being forgiven allows the story to be told, and it allows the hurt to be named. And we, uh, all that we have done and all that's been done to us, and it's not, um, and in this, it's not like a hopelessness. It's not like, well, you screwed up and, you know, no, because we have the next step. The next step that in this, in Desmond Tutu's thing is granting and receiving forgiveness. So once the story's been told, went the whole story. And so what he would do in South Africa is he would get both sides. So there would be a guard and it would be someone in like one of the parishes and they would bring them both together. And the guard would have to listen to how he made the person feel. 
And the person would have to listen to the guards, how they made the, the guard feel and how the guard feel threatened. So all the whole story is being told. And then once the offense and the debt has been named, now it can be forgiven. Right. And now we can we can forgive someone in our heart who doesn't. Um, uh, uh, let me. Sorry. We can first give someone in our heart who's never admitted to doing wrong. Amen. we have to do it all the time. And sometimes we have to do it over and over and over again. But it's hard when they don't see the offense and they don't want to admit it. Isn't, isn't that true? The scripture urge, urges us and really, I would say, begs us. I would even go a step further and say demands from us that we live in humility. That humility is the posture that we walk in. Scripture speaks and warns against over and over and over that self-righteous, always thinking that you're right, is a very, very dangerous posture to take before Jesus. And humility is not. So we get to share the story because we've sinned and fallen short. We get to admit that. We get to name the fact that we have sinned against God and against others in our lives. And then we get to recognize this great gift of forgiveness. And in that, we get to experience God's grace and forgiveness for us and forgive the freedom of forgiving others as well, not having our sins or not counting other people's sins against us, against them. Colossians 3... Uh, or Colossians 2, rather, 13 through 15, says you were dead in the trespasses. There's the word, right? You were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, which the wages of sin is death. And he set it aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ Jesus. Jesus took our record of death and he said, my blood covers this. It's a beautiful thing. And then we get to, we have our debt forgiven and we get to forgive the debts of folks who have sinned against us. And we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come and hopefully every week for the next, you know, number of years, we can still talk about the forgiveness that Jesus is giving us. But in this granting of forgiveness that Jesus does for us, and he wants, to do, he wants us to do this towards those who have sinned against us. This is grace. It's not earned. It's not earned. It's not deserved. But it is given freely as a gift. So Jesus' life and his death and resurrection come with a power to forgive our sins. Amen? That's a beautiful thing. But also for us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And forgiveness is a superpower in the Christian life that is a great gift that God gives and allows us to reflect Christ in a beautiful way. It is a good to be released from the wrong that we've done and it is freeing for us to release others as well. And then the last step is renewing or releasing the relationship. And I think this is maybe the most controversial one. Jesus wants to allow renewal in the relationship between us and God, right? He came, he renewed it, right? We've looked at reconciliation in the last couple of weeks in uh, the thrill of hope. God wants us to be reconciled to him and true forgiveness between humans doesn't always mean, however, that they go back to what they were prior to the offense. We deal with brokenness in a different way. We deal with our hurts in a different way. Like there can be forgiveness But at times, the sin that is committed causes a fracture that won't be made right this side of Jesus. I don't know about you guys. Maybe I've said this many a time. 
I can't wait to meet that person in heaven when I don't have my sin against them and they don't have their sin against me and we can be reconciled fully in that day. But until then, I'm good to not hang out with them. And then I work on the forgiveness of my heart and it just goes through the cycle where I have to keep forgiving them and it gets easier over time. But at the same time, um, uh, that, that's there. And so too many times though on teaching on forgiveness, it has been used for someone who has been abused to go back to their abuser. You know who uses these verses? Abusers, all the time, to continue and perpetuate their abuse. And this is not what God intended for forgiveness. This is not what God intended for forgiveness. God wants evil and sin to come to an end, and he doesn't want forgiveness to lead to the enabling of the sin to continue. It's not what he wants. Sin comes to an end in Jesus. Forgiveness is not a license for it to keep happening. I'm not saying that it won't happen, but it's not a license. I had, a, I had another friend that I talked to this week. They said, um, they said, you know, I was going through this period of grieving and mourning, and somebody emailed me and said, uh, I asked for prayer online, and they, somebody emailed me and said, you can do whatever you want. You're grieving and mourning. And they said, no, I can't. I have things I don't want to go back to. I want to live with Jesus. And that's the idea is like, yeah, is there grace and forgiveness for when we mess up? Of course. But we don't want to keep messing up. Like Paul says, shall I go on sinning? By no means. Too many times the teaching on forgiveness has been used to perpetuate abuse. And so we can forgive others and distance ourselves. And oftentimes this is hard, but it can be done, I believe, in a godly manner that oftentimes protects his children from the continuation of sin in some of, these, in some of the boundaries that are created. There's a person that I've sinned against. In fact, there's so many. But like I, I told them what I did wrong. I listened to their side of the story. Found out that I hurt them far more than I intended. There was forgiveness granted and received. And now we get to that last step of, okay, do we want to continue? And the one who did the sinning, gets to let the other person make up their mind if they want to continue it or not. You're not going to force your will on them. Well, you forgave me. Let's be friends again. There is more uh, than one person in my life that this has happened to. And there have been those who have chosen to distance themselves from me, much to my pain and much to my great, um, much to my, not regret, but much to my, uh, well, I regret my sin that I, I caused them. But there's also been those that I've distanced myself from. And in these things, even though forgiveness is there in my heart and in my life, uh, the relationship's missed. It's really missed. Um, forgiveness is given, but also there was a damage that was done. And there are those who have sinned against me that are forgiven as well. And then the, it's restored and those who I've had to keep my distance from. There, um, and so in that, I say this, that there have been Others who we've sinned against, who have sought forgiveness and not renewed relationship, and that's okay, because one day it will be made whole forever and ever. And so we will continue to talk about forgiveness in the weeks to come, because the scriptures keep talking about it over and over and over. For now, I want to encourage us as we think about forgiveness this week, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through the times that Jesus talked about um, debt that is owed and the forgiveness that is given. For now, let us um, know that we are fully forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Amen. We're going to celebrate Jesus' broken body for us, his shed blood for us. We can, even in this, as we take a moment of silence and confess our sins before him, 
we can admit all our wrongs and stand in full confidence before him that Jesus wants to reconcile us to our Father and so we can be forgiven. And I pray that we may learn to forgive, that we may learn to receive forgiveness and that we may learn to give forgiveness away. And this is something that Jesus is teaching us to pray and he wants us to live out as well. So Father, we come before you. Please teach us forgiveness and teach us to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.